kind of win. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Five, four. All right, you're you're live, Lewis. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Lewis. Uh, I'll be the moderator for tonight's debate by request of both debaters because I know both of them quite well. First of all, we have Sheikh Asrar Rashid, author of the book Islam Answers Atheism. He's an Islamic scholar who currently lives in Birmingham, UK. He began his studies in Birmingham, later moving to Damascus to study at the university, uh, the Grand Umayyad Mosque, and then Masjid Muhayyuddin. I have known uh, Sheikh Asrar for, I think, about half a year now uh, through text messages and phone calls. Uh, his links will be in the description. And then our other debater is Jay Dyer, author of Esoteric Hollywood 1 and 2. He's an Orthodox Christian apologist and a philosopher who lives in the US. He was a Roman Catholic for several years before converting to Eastern Orthodoxy, and he's also studied Eastern Orthodox theology for several years as well. I have known Jay for over a year now as well. Um, so I was a moderator on request of both, as I've mentioned. Um, the debate topic tonight is Trinity versus Tawhid, but the debate, the debate will likely cover a broader area of comparing each other's conceptions of God or the divine. Uh, the title is mainly being used for advertisement reasons. Uh, the debate has been agreed to mainly cover areas of philosophical theology rather than questions of proof texts, uh, you know, like uh, this contradiction in the Quran, this verse in the Quran they contradict or something like that. Um, so there won't be that kind of, it will mainly try to stay on philosophical theology. In terms of the structure of the debate, what's going to happen is uh, both sides will give a 15-minute presentation of their opening statement, then there will be 10-minute rebuttals, and then there will be three sets of seven-minute uh, cross-examinations. I've chosen seven minutes because I think sometimes cross-examinations drone on a little bit too long. Uh, and then there will be a five-minute conclusion, uh, concluding statements from each side. Uh, so with regards to the cross-examination, I want to make it very clear that the person who is interrogating, whose turn it is to interrogate, may interrupt the person who is being interrogated and they are the only person who is allowed to ask questions. So the person who is being interrogated may not ask questions back to the interrogator, and they also may not interrupt the interrogator. Okay? So I just want to make that clear. Um, but uh, I'll give a, a warning at one minute and at 30 seconds during the openings at any of the speeches uh, and, and during the cross-examinations. Uh, if interruptions get a bit too intense, then I may step in, uh, or one of you can just uh, appeal to me, uh, perhaps, uh, and I'll arbitrate and decide if something, some rules have been broken or something. Um, and then I'll just time maybe like 30 seconds to get your thought out. Um, and then there'll be a Q&A <laughs> at the end. So please send your questions via Streamlabs because YouTube is, you know, globo. So uh, we have to use Streamlabs to ask questions and the link to Streamlabs is in the description below if you want to ask a question for Q&A. Uh, so tonight I want to be clear that all the moderators uh, should be quite heavy-handed. If you see agitation, passive aggressiveness, mockery, stuff like that, just hide the user or put them in a timeout. Uh, we're past kind of pure entertainment debate at this point. Uh, so uh, if you enjoyed the debate, please smash like, uh, share and subscribe. And uh, I am going to roll a dice for who goes first. So on one, two, three, we're going to say Sheikh Asra. And on four, five, six, we're going to say uh, Jay. Okay, so Jay gets to go first. 
and I hope I don't get accused of like loading the dice or something because there's literally <laughs> no advantage to going first in this debate. That was, uh, that was a CGI dice. It wasn't. Yeah, CGI point. dice. Yeah, my hand wasn't on screen. Um, if I roll a one, Astral wins. If I roll a three, Jay wins. That kind of. Thing. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, uh, can I just get some Orthodox crosses and moons in the chat? And um, whenever Jay is ready, uh, I will start your fifteen-minute timer. Why don't you tell me when to start? Because I got my. I can't see what you're doing, so I'll start my timer when you start. Um, just, just start when you start talking. I'll start when you start talking. All right, three, two, one. All right. So, uh, what I'd like to talk about today is, as we know, two different conceptions of God and Christology. And what's in debate today is not the doctrine of simplicity. It's not the doctrine of God's unity or how God is one or how God is simple, but in what ways He is or is not. And in fact, as we're going to see, uh, my research into the books that uh, Azra has uh, recommended have shown me in many instances that it's actually the, the Islamic position that is in no better position than us in terms of relegating to God multiple layers and levels of distinctions. So for example, uh, I want to lay out our position as uh, Orthodox Christians, we have an extreme Trinitarian view, you could say. Uh, we have a very precise doctrine of what the distinction between God's nature, person, will, energy, or action and effects are. Uh, we don't believe that distinctions that are real entail composition, separation, division, or any dialectical tensions. And in fact, as we'll see uh, in, in reality, uh, Azrar's position also actually accepts that same metaphysical position when it comes to the attributes in relationship to the essence as well as the attributes amongst themselves at times. Now, the one God for us is primarily the person of the Father. The, the hypostasis of God the Father is typically who we're referring to when the creed refers to we believe in one God, the Father Almighty. Uh, we do believe that distinctions exist in God, not because of abstract speculations, but rather because the Bible itself is the revelation of God, and it has shown us and told us in what ways God is and is not distinct. So for us, for example, the distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is not something invented by the apostles in the New Testament. It's not something invented by uh, Constantine at Nicaea or Athanasius or any of these people. It's actually a doctrine, believe it or not, that is uh, found primarily, first and foremost, in the Old Testament itself. In the Old Testament, we find many, many, many theophanies. I won't go through every single one of them. But from the beginning of Genesis, God is spoken of as, a, as appearing and walking in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. We see God appearing as a theophany, as we call it, or a divine manifestation within time and space to uh, many of the Old, Old Testament patriarchs, including uh, Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. We see uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Uh, now, in, in many of these instances, the word angel, we know, it just simply means a messenger. So a messenger can be a created messenger, or in our case, it could be an uncreated messenger. In fact, we know by the time we get to uh, Malachi, at the end of Malachi, the uh, messenger of the covenant is the one who will come, and he's actually identified as Yahweh. But going back to Genesis, when we get to the end of Genesis, uh, by Genesis 48, after many of these instances, be it 32, chapter 32, chapter 35, we have a, an explicit statement that the angel of the Lord is the one who redeems. Now, we know that angels as created beings cannot redeem, uh, but I'm just pointing out that in our theology and our philosophy, it is very apparent that this specifically distinct personage, or what we will call a uh, distinct hypostasis, is present even in the Old Testament. And it's not just the Father and his messenger or his word, uh, it's also going to be his spirit. 
And we see this, for example, when we move to Exodus. In Exodus 3, there's a, a, a very clear uh, manifestation or theophany uh, in the burning bush where we have the manifestation of the I am, right? God revealing himself as supreme existence, supreme being. And that same I am is identified over in uh, Exodus uh, 23 as the angel that will go before the Israelites into the promised land. That angel, that messenger is a secondary messenger, not separate, not from another nature, not another God, not two gods, not five gods, but in, but in fact, a separate messenger, the son of God. And we think that son of God is who is predicted and prophesied all throughout these Old Testament uh, uh, theophanies. There's many, many, many of these, as well as messianic prophecies. Um, I'm not going to go through a whole list of all the messianic prophecies. We can get into that in a little bit if we need to. But suffice to say that as we move through these theophanies in the Old Testament, we come to the book of Judges, we find the angel of the Lord revealing himself to Manoah, that is the parents of Samson in Judges 13, as the wonderful one, as Yahweh's wonderful one. And in fact, he possesses the name of Yahweh. The name of Yahweh is actually given to that same wonderful one in Isaiah as well. So when we read Isaiah 9 and we read Isaiah 10, Isaiah 11, we find in those chapters the prophecies that even Jews admit are messianic prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah is identified as Yahweh. He's identified with the same appellations of, of, of worship and divinity as David ascribed to him in his predictive and prophetic psalms. For example, in Psalm 110, we have the famous prediction that when Christ comes and when he dies, he will ascend into heaven. And when he ascends, right, as the New Testament in many places cites Psalm 110, particularly, say, uh, in Peter's sermon and so forth, he ascended on high and he sat at the right hand of the Father. So that is predicting, we would say, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so when he ascended, it's said in Psalm 110 that he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's because in, Melchi in, in uh, Genesis uh, 14, the person of Melchizedek is present with bread and wine as a type, as a predictor of the person of Christ. Now, we don't think that Melchizedek is eternal, but Christ, as the second person of the Godhead, has an eternal priesthood that the New Testament says is significant for divine worship. God's worship according to the Torah, according to the prophets, and according to the New Testament always includes the notion of priesthood. This is why it was so important that there be sacrifices, that there be a temple. And when Christ comes, he doesn't completely get rid of the idea of sacrifice. No, in fact, he institutes a liturgical worship that is in perfect continuity with the liturgical sacrificial offering of the Old Testament, which was a type which is fulfilled in the work of Christ. Hence why the church from the earliest days got its liturgy, its service of worship, and its Eucharistic offering directly from the Old Testament pattern of the synagogue and the temple. And so there's a direct continuity of the priesthood, which Hebrews 7 identifies as the Melchizedekian priesthood and the true indicator of how we know where to worship God properly. God has always required a form of sacrifice as the acceptable way to offer him, to, to excuse me, to worship him. So when we have these two ideas in, in mind, then we're looking for this person who appears in the time of uh, in, in the time of the coming of Christ for the first time, right? Which is his first advent, and we believe that Christ is thus the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament predictions and prophecies, dozens and dozens throughout the Psalms, throughout Isaiah. I can go through many many texts if we need to here in a, in a moment. But the idea is just simply that, that the Old Testament itself and in the New Testament being that full progressive revelation, there's nothing wrong with progressive revelation. Jews themselves admit progressive revelation. They admit that uh, Isaiah knew more about God than Abraham did. So there's nothing fundamentally problematic with that. In fact, 
If you look at Jewish theology itself, it does not actually pre present a strict, simple Unitarianism or a simple monotheism. Uh, recent Jewish scholars such as Benjamin Somar have written well-known famous books such as The Bodies of God in the Ancient World of Israel. There's the Siegel text as well about the two powers of heaven. And what these are showing is that from the earliest days of Genesis, these principles that I talked about with theophanies actually present a rather fluid notion of how we predicate unity and multiplicity or diversity or distinctions to God. Now, Islam de de uh, demands that the distinctions in Allah are real. Believe, uh, at least uh, my understanding of Azrar's school, based on the books that I have in front of me from his school, uh, 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 he agrees that when we have the distinctions made between the entity, which we believe is the essence, they call it the entity, and the attributes, there is a real distinction. In fact, that real distinction doesn't just apply to the essence and the many attributes. It also applies at times to the distinction between the attributes themselves. And not just that, also to God's acts. In other words, my, my reading of the, the commentary on the Sanusi Creed admits that there are real distinctions between different actions of God. So if this is allowed in his position, if he can have at least three and perhaps more levels and layers of distinctions and nuance for what is applicable to this Tawheed, to this simple uh, non-composite God, there's no uh, prima facie reason why we can't also have those same layers and distinctions. Now, he will, I think, uh, want the types of things that our position allows, right? And I'm, I'm arguing that our position via the nature, person, will, energy distinction, the Trinity, allows for a nuanced and layered metaphysic, not just in God, but also in the created order, which gives us a... Uh, a, flu a kind of narrative and a kind of explanation that no other system that's strictly Unitarian can actually provide. In other words, if I would, I would posit, posit the question like this to Asrar. In regards to act, God's actions being many and presumably really ontologically distinct, if they are not distinct, then Asrar must accept, accept that creation is an eternal act of God. In fact, his theology in many places, especially in his book, the entire chapter on epistemology relies heavily on Aristotle, Aristotle's metaphysical assumptions, Aristotle's epistemology, and Aristotle's uh, uh, notions of contingency, and that the one, the first cause, the actualizer himself cannot possess accidents. If he can't possess accidents, I would press that uh, Asrar must also accept Aristotle's uh, presupposition and argument that he cannot possess potentia. Because in the theology that he outlines, the, perf the perfect being, the perfections of Allah cannot allow for potentiality, the movement from, uh, from potency to act, because that would require change in God or change in his being. So if there is no change in God in the sense of God possessing potentia in his system, in his system, right, then creation must be an eternally actualized act. But now Asra does not believe that. He actually believes that God doesn't have to create the world that he creates or the worlds that he creates. He freely acted to create. So we have a movement from something being the case in terms of God's uh, willing and potentia to, uh, to it actually being the case, right? So it would appear then that sometimes God's act is either doing something and not doing something, right? So God's act creates at one time and in other times it doesn't. So we need to know how there's real distinctions in these acts and what account he can give, because typically when I read through his books, I see a, a back and forth between a confusion over merely conceptual distinctions in the attributes and actions and a dispute on this question and a real distinction. So both of these things be, need to, be, need to uh, be fleshed out. I want to hear an account of this if he's willing to do that, because if he e either way he chooses in this dilemma, he will either have to admit... Uh, 
change in God uh, through moving from potentia to act in terms of creating, uh, or he will have to right, admit that there are potentia in God. Right. Uh, either way, he's kind of stuck. Uh, Asrar's epistemology is a, uh, again, model, on, if you, re you read his chapter in his book, which I have in front of me here, it's basically uh, heavily reliant on the empiricist, classical foundationalist, you could say, model of Aristotle. But there's problems with Aristotle's epistemology. One of those problems is that for Aristotle, something that, that we know uh, in itself, right, or excuse me, something that is known in itself is not the same as something that we know according to our empirical sense data. So if we're going to use causal contingency arguments, which his position and his schools of thought do in order to arrive at the first cause and how we know God and how they demonstrate God, then he's going to have to explain how what is better known by us is distinguished from what is better known in itself. In other words, what is better known by us is the empirical sense data. What is better known in itself is, in fact, God. But in his system, due to the atomism and due to the occasionalism, there's not actually causal chains. There's not actually causal relations uh, in things in the world. So causation that he wants in the world is not actually part of his metaphysic. And yet that's the very thing that his entire epistemology and his metaphysical cosmology relies on to move back to or to, in the dependence chain, rely on a first actualizer. So if there is a first actualizer, if he's an eternal first actualizer, then and he doesn't possess potentia and he's per perfect in the sense that he cannot undergo change, I don't see how he's going to get out of the dilemma of then it needs to he needs to follow Aristotle's theism to an eternal creation. But if he believes in eternal creation, then he surrendered Islam because now he's given uh, uh, positive created attributes to the created order. And if he relies on the distinction that Aristotle makes between things better known by us as opposed to things known in themselves, then the question is that what is the basis to know that that distinction is actually the case itself, right? It has to rely back on sense data, which is itself circular. So I think Asra has really shot himself in the foot in the sense of his epistemology chapter basically just accepts a naive empiricist perspective. I'm not saying he's a mere empiricist. I'm saying that the starting point of his, of his position is empiricist, and it's not going to be able to solve the dilemma that he's in. Uh, next, I would point out uh, that I think the biggest problem in his system is the notion of analogia. In fact, uh, in the Sanusi Creed uh, uh, commentary, in many places, we have the admission of speech, sight, hearing. We have uh, temporal phraseology like first and last. Allah is first and last. We have uh, all kinds of statements like Allah can speak into time and space and that that is the eternal speech of Allah in parts. In fact, the commentary on the Sanusi Creed even says that Allah's speech in time and space is a part-whole relationship to the eternal speech. Now, in the Juwani commentary, when this comes up about predicating anal analogically of God what's true of creatures, and since there, we, we know the, uh, the Quran and all of these books basically stress there's absolutely no seconds. similarity, then we need to ask, why does Juwani say that we cannot ask this question? And I would posit it's because the system can't answer it. You have 20 seconds. Oh, I thought you were saying I'm done. So in other words, if we're going to use phrases like, uh, uh, in fact, on page 98, 99, it says that you can even use ordinal numbering, one, two, three, to point out and list the distinctions and the attributes of Allah. Okay, well, thank you. Now you can't use any uh, arguments about the Trinity on prima facie simplicity. That's time.
Thank you, Jay, for that opening statement. Uh, Asra, whenever you're ready, I'll start your timer. Oh, by the way, sorry, sorry, really sorry. Um, Jay, on the rebuttal round, do you think it would be possible to show Asra's uh, face instead of mine? <laughs> I'm kind of irrelevant to the bait. Do you think on the rebuttal rounds you could just have him up there instead of me, like clicking well, on his picture? Whoever talks is it who's going to show. Is, is that it? So you can't? Okay, okay. So when he talks, uh, it's going to show him. All right, okay. Well, whenever you're ready, Asra. Okay, to begin with, uh, the arguments of with re in relation to Trinity and Tawhid predate uh, the modern polemical arguments that we hear today. They, in fact, are found in classical works of uh, theology of Ilmul Kalam. Uh, and the arguments as, are not as simple as are made out to be. Uh, to begin with, firstly, Ilmul Kalam, which some have termed as being natural theology, is the inception of understanding a divine creator solely from the mind without any recourse to revelation. So my point of inception and to start would be from the mind itself. And of course, Jay made reference to empiricism, that the, the starting point of my epistemology is empiricism, which is really a reliance on the five sound senses but also a combination of the five sound senses with the mind, the rational mind. So reaching judgments with regard to the divine existence of God Almighty. So we, without any reference to biblical accounts of theosophy or uh, any anything else with regard to stories from uh, the Old Testament or from the New Testament, I, that is not my inception point, even with regard to Tawhid. I would not refer to the Quran to a, an unbeliever or to a Christian or even to Muslims when uh, dialoguing with regard to the rational proofs for the existence of God. Now, in all classical uh, Kalam works, books of theology, they mention with uh, the interaction of early Muslim theologians with Christian theologians and how Trinity was articulated at that time and sophisticated Arab theologians discussed with Christian sophisticated theologians. And what they mention uh, with regard to the Trinity itself, it's referred to as al-aqanim, al-aqanim al-thalatha, meaning the, the, the triune or the Trinity, and it has three aspects to it. Firstly is the wujud, the divine existence. Uh, secondly is al-hayatu, which is divine life, uh, which is known as the spirit of God. And thirdly, al-ilmu, which is the logos, which is in a reference to Christ. And, and this is how the early Christians articulated the Trinity. Now, when the Muslims, according to the Arab sources, this is according to the Arab sources, meaning uh, in, in works like Nibras, which this is written by Abdul Aziz Parhari, for instance, and a few hundred years ago. So this is how they transmit how the Christians would say this. And the Muslims... At that time, when dialoguing with them, how the the argument goes from our part is firstly with regard to God Almighty, that we know God Almighty exists. Now, as theists, both Christians and Muslims, we do not need to go into the argumentation for the existence of God. But what was mentioned <clears throat> with regard to God not creating for eternity, and if he does not create, it leads to some type of imperfection for, uh, uh, by not creating. Uh, firstly, Muslim theologians did not declare anyone who claims 
that God has been creating ad infinitum as disbelievers. Like Ibn Taymiyyah, for instance, the Damascene theologian, he claimed that God has been creating ad infinitum, uh, that there has been creation uh, in coming into existence and sustained by God for eternity. So Muslims did not declare him a disbeliever based on that, because the very meaning of something being created is al-wujud ba'd al-adam, which means existence after non-existence. So if something has no existence and then it's in, instantiated into existence, that is the very meaning of makhluq, of creation. So if uh, God created anything, that thing would be instantiated. But the, the question here is that uh, according to Aristotelian philosophy, which I am not necessarily bounded by, meaning even if someone reads into epistemology and and claims that the epistemology is similar to Aristotelian uh, philosophy, there can be points in which uh, I clearly differ with Aristotle or any other Greek philosophers. But nevertheless, the claim that if God does not instantiate uh, in eternity creation, therefore this would result uh, into some kind of uh, fault in God or uh, inadequacy in God, I would disagree in the sense that in what we say in our theology is that God has a divine will and divine will relates to the divine creation. So the divine power and the divine will, which are attributes of God Almighty, God instantiates, uh, which is referred to as tanjiz, instantiation of creation. So the divine will is eternal. So eternally, God has willed for creation to exist eternally. But when creation comes into existence, which is known as instantiation, uh, that is known as tanjiz, which is an effectuation of creation coming into existence. So that argument doesn't really work in order to say that if God has not been creating uh, eternally, therefore this is some kind of inadequacy in God Almighty, because God has willed for something to exist eternally, even though that thing which is willed comes out at a particular point in time. So then from the rational mind alone, we know that God Almighty exists, which is the attribute of Al-Wujud. Then we go into the attribute of Al-Qidam, that God is eternally existing, because if he did not eternally exist, that would mean he was contingent. And this is where uh, Jay mentioned the accidentals. The reason for this being mentioned is because when we analyze the Trinity, then if we were to say that Jesus is one of the persons of the uh, of the trinity and one of the or the essence of god meaning one of the three persons that represents the essence of god and then jesus is transferred uh, into the earth in the womb of mary and contained in time and place and contained in the womb of mary born to a woman that he created which uh, some will say is not internal uh, internally illogical they say this is very possible because the divine power can carry this out that a person of the trinity <coughs> is flesh and divine at the same time if we take this position the eternalness of god is questioned because anything that has the characteristics of of being contingent meaning existence after non-existence therefore has the very possibility of perishing because anything that has the attributes of the creation therefore has is contingent in nature now the counter argument relates to kalam what uh, eastern orthodox 
and other Christians, uh, which I mentioned, they mentioned the Nestorians and they mentioned so many different uh, groups of the Christians because I know the Christology itself is uh, disputed, meaning the very uh, accurate uh, description of what the actual uh, Christology is. But what they mention uh, with regard to that is that in the Trinity, uh, when we affirm Jesus as being, being God or one of the persons of God Almighty, we undermine the other attributes. So the counter argument is Kalamullah, which is the divine speech of Allah, that you Muslims affirm for God Almighty a divine speech, an attribute, which is an endless attribute. And some of the uh, polemical Christians who have no real depth in understanding this, they say, oh, look, the Shia and the Mu'tazila, they only affirm a divine speech uh, in terms of God creating a speech. So creating a book or creating the Quran and you Sunnis, you affirm that the Quran itself as the divine speech of Allah on earth and therefore the book that we have is the the the, the revelation of the book of the, the Quran is an attribute of God Almighty being sent to earth and therefore the the argument goes how can you term Christians as being polytheists or disbelievers because in effect they are stating the same that the divine attribute of God Almighty it has descended to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. This Christ, this argument is flawed in, in many ways. How? Because uh, they, firstly, they do not articulate the correct Sunni position. The Sunnis have um, mentioned that there is a Kalam Nafsi, which is the actual divine attribute of Allah. And if, if you refer to my book, I mentioned that the divine attributes uh, are categorized in three ways. You can categorize them in three ways or five ways, but uh, one way of categorizing them is the attributes of effectiveness, those attributes which have effect, like divine power, those attributes of indication though, uh, that signify something like divine speech. And uh, the, uh, there is a, a third category which is mentioned in my book. But the divine attribute of kalam, which is the divine speech of Allah, is a, is described as a sifatul qa'imatu bidhat, an attribute which is established with the essence, with the being of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, the Quran that we have, which is revealed, is categorized as being al-kalamul lafzi, which is the, the word of God that indicates towards the divine attribute, not the actual divine attribute. So a book is not the divine attribute. You cannot say uh, the, the Quran in its published form is, uh, the, meaning the physical paper and the, and, the, and the book in its form is the divine attribute. Like, for instance, if we have the name Allah, written or the name Jesus written according to Christians the name Jesus would be representative of Jesus himself meaning it indicates towards the the actual name of God Almighty and according to Muslims the name Allah would indicate towards the essence of God Almighty but you would not say that God himself is existing on the written page so this argument that uh, the divine attributes and here also the what is referred to as simplicity of God, as some have been saying, uh, we do not say uh, with regard to a simplicity to God because we affirm divine attributes for God, which are sifat for Allah. So the divine essence can never be known. The divine essence, which is the that, can never be known. But the divine attributes can be understood to a degree and the, the, the effects of the divine attributes can be felt also, like the divine power of God, we feel that the effect of divine power in our daily lives, uh, the 
the divine will of God. We observe the effect of the divine will of God Almighty in our daily lives. So the, the divine attributes can be articulated, but numerosity of divine attributes does not entail uh, shirk, polytheism, numerosity of divine attributes of God Almighty. So when someone articulates the Trinity, how they articulate the Trinity, uh, depending on how they articulate the Trinity is how the judgment is given with regard to those Christians, how they explain Christology. So when it comes in, if they say, for instance, that there is that, which is numerosity of gods, uh, meaning three gods or four gods, or however many number of gods, meaning an essence of God, this is different if someone had said, for instance, God the Father, Al-Ab, is the divine essence, and then the divine essence has two additional attributes, which one of which is al-hayatu, life, which is expressed as the Holy Spirit, and the, uh, and the second one, which is expressed as al-ilmu, um, which is uh, the sun. These are divine attributes. Or if someone says they're divine attributes, the judgment is different to saying that they are actual persons of the divine essence. When they say they are persons of the divine essence, and their will is one, then the persons of the divine essence would entail that there are three zawats. This is the distinction between Muslims and Trinity. If someone says that God is three zawats, three essences, that would be different from what Muslims say when they say God is of one essence, but of uh, innumerable attributes or eternal attributes. But if a Christian says God is of one essence and has two additional attributes, the, that would change the entire argument. So when we say Tawheed, what do we mean by Tawheed? Firstly, we have Tawheed that, which is monotheism of the essence of God. Secondly, we have Tawheed Sifat, which is monotheism of the divine attributes. What this entails is that one attribute of each category that God has one attribute of each category. So divine power is one. Divine will is one. D uh, divine uh, uh, life is one. We do not say he has two divine wills or three divine wills or whatever. And then we have Tawheedul Af'al, the oneness of the divine actions, which you mentioned, the divine actions of God Almighty. What do we mean by divine actions of God Almighty? It, re it is referring to the effectuation of the divine will and power. One minute. So when we when we observe and feel the effectuation, which is referred to as tenjis, of the divine will and power, so we see a tree growing with the divine will and power of God Almighty. This is referred to as tawhidul afal. Why do we refer to it as monotheism in that regard? Because the God is unique and one in that action. No one co-shares those divine actions uh, with God Almighty. Now, how th this is an articulation of what 30 is seconds. the meaning of Tawheed. This is an articulation of what is the actual meaning of Tawheed. What you would have to demonstrate is the firstly, the distinctions between Trinity, as you understand it to be, and then how Tawheed is actually an undermining of the power of God. Now, I've countered the other arguments in terms of God not creating ad infinitum, how that does not actually invalidate the power of God Almighty. Well done, nice one. Well, perfectly timed. Um, okay, so uh, wonderful. So next we'll be moving on to rebuttals. 
Uh, can I get some uh, crosses and moons in the chat, please? Uh, cool. So, 10 minutes. Whenever you're ready, Jay, to do your first rebuttal, I'll press play. All right, I'm ready. Okay. Um, thank you for that. I appreciate that response. Uh, I did. I, I think that he did uh, good in presenting his position, but I, I didn't hear a whole lot of attempts at actually answering the objections that I raised. And I'm not trying to be rude or, or dismissive here. I mean, I specified in my opening statement that Azrar in his book, in his chapter on epistemology, does explicitly adopt Aristotle's epistemology. I didn't say he adopted everything that Aristotle said. I said that it would have been more consistent for him to adopt the rest of Aristotle's position, particularly when he refers to uh, self-evident principles, self-evident knowledge, self-evident maxims, basic uh, classical foundationalism, uh, when he appeals to um, common sense, uh, these are all inadequate replies to the very thing that I was questioning, which is the natural theological presuppositions. In fact, my argument was was precisely directed at rejecting natural theology. And of course, natural theology, whether it's the classical theism of Roman Catholicism or the classical theism of Islam, uh, it actually goes back to the Greeks, to uh, Aristotle. And it's premised on the idea that Aristotle noted that there's a distinction between what is known better by us as opposed to what is known in itself. So what is known better by us refers to empirical sense data. What is better known in itself is the cause itself, namely God. Notice that I pointed out the problem in the occasionalism of his position and the denial of causal chains in the created world, which was not addressed. And that's because when that's undone, the rest of this epistemology is undone, and the result is that he doesn't know God. I'm not saying that on a personal existential sense. I'm saying in the epistemology, his system should lead to the conclusion that it's not possible to know God. Now, he says he's not going to appeal to Revelation, but that's precisely the point that I'm appealing to an orthodox phronema and mindset and Revelation is because we do need Revelation even to ground our epistemology. And to grant to, for example, an atheist that they can reason logically without God or without revelation is basically to say that they don't need God. And that's why so many atheists take the classical theism position to its logical conclusion of atheism. Now, that's not the only point that I made about natural theology and revelation. Uh, when he was talking about the distinctions in God and the multiplicity that is allowed, I wasn't saying that they teach what we teach or that he ought to accept that the speech of Allah is the second person of the Trinity. I know that he doesn't accept that. What I was saying is that the argument is special pleading because for his position, there's all sorts of nuances and allowances for distinction. But when the Muslim uh, approaches the Trinity, the argument that's made is that it's a priori, it's illogical and impossible. Now, maybe he will not make that argument. Maybe he'll, say, he'll take some different argument, but it's the argument made in the books that he gave and he sent in regard to commentary on the Sanusi Creed and so forth. Uh, and the reason for that, the reason I'm bringing that up is, again, that there's metaphysical assumptions that he has that he, I don't think, has realized don't actually come from revelation or they've come from Hellenic philosophy. And he admitted as much when he said his position is natural theology. So in order to refute the starting point and the presuppositions of that system, all I really need to do is present the problems of natural theology and natural philosophy, which we reject. Orthodox theology does not accept natural theology. We do not accept classical foundationalist epistemology because they're circular and they're incoherent and they just rely on things like common sense and causal chains. 
Note that I pointed out his system via the atomism and via the occasionalism does not allow for it precludes and rejects causal chains in the created order because they believe that if anything were to be a cause in creation, it would be to give created things the power of Allah. And why do they believe that? Because created things have an absolute dissimilarity to Allah. There can be no analogia. Now notice when I pointed out the problem of analogical predication, which is brought up in the Juwani Creed on page 23, and it just simply says, we don't have an answer. Don't ask that question. It is not permissible to ask the question how it's possible to have predicates and names of God that rely, to, that rely on creatures that somehow pick out and tell us something about Allah. Now, he admitted in the discussion that he gave that some of the names do pick out things about Allah. Right? We can talk about existence. We can talk about the entity. We can talk about first and last. Allah is called first and last. Those are time determinations applied to Allah. I know he doesn't believe in persons in, in Allah. I know he doesn't believe in causal, uh, the father causing a son or something like that. We know that that's not his position. My point is that the philosophical, metaphysical presuppositions that he has are not allowed in his own position except when he does special pleading to say, I don't know. You see, in my system, I can have all kinds of layers and distinctions. I can use temporal time determinations like Allah being first and last. And it tells me something about Allah, but it's not Allah, right? You see, so the point is that the dissimilarity, the disconnect between the uncreated and the created is so strong that if you were to consistently follow this out, he knows nothing about Allah. That's the point that I'm making. Because what's in his mind, the created concepts, the created Quran, I didn't say that the created Quran was the eternal Quran. I'm pointing out the metaphysical problem of saying that an eternal speech of Allah established in his will and essence can manifest in time and space in certain instances. And the way the, Sunu, the commentary on the Sanusi Creed resolves this problem, as I said, I'll give you the quotes if you want, is to say that it's part of the eternal speech. Okay, there's no parts and holes in God. And yet we have them saying right here, <laughs> right, uh, where, where is it? Let me find this. So it, it, it literally says, pages 96 and 97, the speech of Allah, the revealed books indicate the pre-eternal speech, but only in parts thereof and not in entirety. My point is not that this is some problem for all of Islam in terms of their theology. My point is that he has a metaphysical assumption. I know that he wants to resolve that problem, as do the commentators in this book on page 96, by just simply saying, it's an analogia, it's an analogy, it's admitting analogia, and turning around saying, but there is no analogy, there's no analogy be between created things and the uncreated. By the way, let me use linkage between the attributes. Let me use names like sight, like hearing, all of which are created things, to tell you something about Allah. And then let me turn around and tell you that there's absolutely no similarity. So there's not any information actually being conveyed between these two disconnected, dissimilar worlds. And so when he turns around and says that there is an analogia and says that they can't, he used the phrase, I think, indicates towards. How do created things indicate towards the uncreated when you turn around and say there's absolute dissimilarity between the uncreated and the created? So he does want and does have analogia in his position. That was the whole argument I was making. He consistently will refer to numerical distinctions. In fact, 
the, the, the book, the Sanusi Creed, even says you can use one, two, three, four, five as an example, an analogy of how to distinguish between attributes. Okay, those are creatures. Those are created things. So he's using an analogy to created things. As the Juwani Creed turns around and says, when you're pressed on this issue, you say this is an improper question. Don't ask this question. Don't ask this question because this is the thing that undoes the whole system because you don't have a metaphysic that allows for an essence energy distinction. This is the whole point of the essence energy distinction in Orthodox theology. And I want to return in, in the last point to my question about act potency. The descriptions that you gave of Allah, I didn't, I didn't say that it was all Aristotelianism. I want to know how it's not Aristotelianism given what you say about perfection. I didn't say that God has to eternally create to be perfect. I said, I want to know on your metaphysic if there's change in God, because if you admit potentia, a potentia to create, God didn't have to create this world, but he willed to create this world. And so this world moved from non-existence to existence. We agree there. But in God, there was a potentia to create a logically possible world that he did create, this one, and he willed not to create all the other logically possible worlds as far as we know. So God doesn't have to will. He doesn't will everything, per se, in the sense of creating all possible worlds. He created this world as far as we know. And so if there's potential in God, then on your system, God moved from a state of potentia to actuality and went, underwent change because there was a change in him. That was the argument. Not do you believe is, does creation have a beginning? I know that you accept creation ex nihilo. I was stating that it's a horns of dilemma unless you are consistent with rejecting the notion of potentia in God. If there's potentia in God, your system ought to conclude that he's not perfect. Because the whole linkage argument in the commentary on the Sanusi Creed was premised on the interconnectedness and necessity of the various attributes and the perfections of Allah. Well, if Allah moves from potentia to actuality, then there's a change in him, and they're on your own system, he wasn't perfect. Okay. Um, very nice. Uh, Asra. Uh, okay, with the regard hang to... Hang on a second, I just, need to, I just need to just get the timer ready, sorry. Okay, okay whenever you're ready. With regard to the first point of uh, which you mentioned, which, which was causality and Aristotelian uh, metaphysics, firstly, our sources for our epistemology are absolutely intertwined with early Arab sources in how Arabs approached their epistemology. And they did not totally rely on Hellenistic Greco-Roman uh, epistemology. If you check the books of logic, even basic books of logic, you will see the additions that Arabs added to the books of logic, the Greek logic books, like Isagogi, a simple book, you'll find in there, they removed some of the Hellenistic methodologies and corrected Aristotle on so many things. So in, with regard to causality, causality is not the only uh, proof for God in terms of rational uh, proofs of God. It's one of the many proofs, but uh, how you uh, you mentioned with regard to parts of divine speech as quoted in the Sanusi Creed, what the author actually is mentioning is that the early revelations, a Torah and Al-Injil and other uh, revelations, when he says in part they were revealed and he says we do not delve into this, what he means by that, that the actual attribute of Kalam is an eternal attribute and that God Almighty re re revealed 
which by way of what which I mentioned indicates to, and you said indicates to, is what the uh, early Hellenistic philosophers said that anything which is indicated towards is something material. But I do not mean in in a material sense. Like if I point at the screen, that the screen has a material existence. When when I said pointed to, is it's referred to as signification. It signifies to, meaning a signification is a better term to utilize. That the early revelations of a Torah and Al Injil and the Quran signify to the divine attribute. So the divine attribute is an eternal attribute that exists with God Almighty and the revelation signify to that divine attribute. Then you mention uh, 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 with regard to uh, the attributes and similarity to creation that Muslims cannot move away from that in any way or sense because they will always find some kind of resemblance between the attributes of God and uh, a resemblance between the attributes of creation. Now this like you mentioned, he, divine hearing and seeing and other divine attributes. This is where the major distinction comes in between qualitative attributes that we affirm these attributes of, as qualitative attributes. Qualitative attributes means that if we affirm divine hearing or divine seeing for God Almighty, then that means that it, preclu it precludes uh, organs, any similarity to human beings, and for instance, the divine hearing, God Almighty uncovers with the divine hearing not only what we speak in terms of sound and sound waves, but also hears the internal speech of man, the, the mind of man, and what man thinks and what man uh, thinks of in his heart. So the, when we affirm the words for God Almighty, whatever outward wording that may give some type of resemblance to creation, we refer to those attributes as qualitative attributes, Sifatul Ma'ani, which you find in the books that you, uh, you quoted, like the Snusi Creed. So therefore, the non-similarity between God Almighty and creation remains, because those attributes are in actual fact uh, qualitative attributes. Lastly, you mentioned potentia. What I was saying with regard to that, was that God has eternally willed, eternally willed for creation to exist. The When creation comes into existence, this is referred to as tanjiz, which is effectuation. The effectuation is in time and place. So uh, therefore God, and when effectuation comes about, it does not change God Almighty in any sense. No contingents are attached to God but God has eternally willed. So eternally God willed that a man named Jediah will exist. When you were born, You, uh, the effectuation of that divine will came into being. That is the meaning of divine will and divine power, that the divine power, the divine attribute of power effectuates the existence of God Almighty. So this is an articulation of monotheism and Tawheed and what we mean by Tawheed. What you would have to demonstrate to me is how Trinity and how you conceptualize Trinity, and we know Christology itself was a disputed issue that even the council, so many councils had to be conducted in order to determine the exact meaning of Christology. You would have to determine to me, uh, explain to me and articulate how there is no clear contradiction between this Tawheed that I mentioned. And of course, you you can bring up the what you deem as uh, illogical, Ill illogicality or irrational points in, in Tawheed, in monotheism, and I will continue mentioning uh, the counter-arguments uh, to those claims. So, 
also what you mentioned was with regard to natural theology. What I mean by natural theology, I'm utilizing a Christian Western term here, but what I mean by that is if a man is born in the Amazon jungle and only utilizes his mind, will he conclude with the Trinity or will he conclude with Tawheed, uh, that there is a divine creator who has divine power, divine will, the, the basic attributes that we affirm for God from the mind, uh, or will he conclude that Jesus of Nazareth is one of the persons of God Almighty? I mean, what rational arguments do you have in terms of Jesus of Nazareth, peace be upon him, that he was a divine being who came unto earth? We as Muslims, uh, just in the belief in God and the basic attributes of God, we affirm this from our minds alone. So if, if a person in the Amazon jungle or a person born without any access to revelations, any access to the Quran, he can conclude correctly and be able to defend that there is a divine creator. And I, I believe even Christians will believe this, that a man with his natural disposition will conclude that there is a divine creator with a divine will, divine power, uh, these basic attributes. But what is the, uh, the, uh, the rational proof for what you term as being the Trinity, as you mentioned uh, in the book of Hebrews, there is a man described uh, who Abraham met when he was uh, uh, that he's described with those divine attributes. You mentioned al awwal wal akhir, for instance, the first and the last, uh, being ascribed to God Almighty. Again, these are qualitative attributes. Al awwal in the sense in relative to creation that uh, prior to the beginning of creation. Uh, meaning inception of creation or the effectuation of creation into big uh, coming into a beginning god almighty existed and god almighty will always exist endlessly this is the meaning of al awwalu the first and al akhiru the last so here uh, the, uh, the the question is that when we approach the issue of uh, of tawhid and trinity Tawheed, I would say and argue, is a rational uh, position without any uh, without any recourse to the Quran or the Hadith, without any recourse to the Bible. I will conclude that there is a God who has divine power, divine will, who has divine attributes. But I will not conclude that Jesus of Nazareth, upon whom be peace, was divine, even though that the uh, Quran itself describes. Uh, Jesus as Ruh Minhu, some Christians have misinterpreted this as saying uh, the divine, that Jesus is a divine spirit from God. When Ruh Minhu uh, really means that the inception of his creation started from God. Like the Quran describes uh, the heavens and the earth, Jami'an Minhu, all of the heavens and the earth are from God, Minhu, from him. Likewise, Jesus is meaning that means that the heavens and the earth were created by God. Jesus is described as Ruhum Minhu, a, a spirit from God or the spirit of God. Like the, the Kaaba is described as Baytullah, the house of Allah. And likewise, when we say Kalima, that Jesus is a Kalima of God, a word of God, this is not the Logos or the, the what John refers to in the gospel. It refers to the divine command. Kun fayakun that be and it is willed. Meaning, when God wills for something, it is instantiated and comes into being. So, uh, what you would have to demonstrate. One minute. What you would have to demonstrate here is, uh, rationally speaking, because 
if you can if you will quote the bible or the quran both the bible and the quran can easily be misinterpreted and the, the proof the rational proof for that is the multi uh, multiple sects we've had in christianity in the first 300 years alone they differed over the exact even even agreeing to the gospels meaning from three from so many gospels four gospels were selected by the council of nicaea and they differed on the rationality of the, of the correct interpretation of Christology. Uh, the same with the Quran, that the Quran can be misinterpreted. So the natural disposition, a man leaves atheism, seconds. Uh, a man leaves atheism when he abandons atheism. Uh, which one would make more sense to him? Tawhid, as I have articulated, or is it Trinity, as you have mentioned? And of course, uh, making a, a mention of Aristotle and Aristotelian metaphysics, at this point, I would say, is a non sequitur, and it, it, it diverts the entire argument away from the rationality. Time. Thank you so much. Really, really great. Really, really great. I would like some more crosses and moons in the chat, please, guys. You're doing awesome. And I'm really enjoying this debate. Um, now we're moving on to rebuttals. Uh, so like I said, it's going to be three sets of seven. Just as a reminder, the interrogator can interrupt and ask questions, but the one being interrogated cannot ask questions or interrupt. Uh, and like I said before, if there's an appeal or if there is a, I will give a grace time uh, for someone to get their point out. Um, so whenever you're ready, uh, Jay, I will give you your seven first seven-minute cross-examination. Okay, as ready. soon as you start, I'm ready. Go ahead. Okay, so I didn't hear again an answer to the specific question that I asked about signification of the divine names and the divine attributes. I asked you in what way is it possible for the uncreated to pick out and signify something unique and distinct about the uncreated, and you just used a different term. You said, "Well, indicates." would better be served to signify signification is a sign a symbol an image that's rejected in your position so you've not actually answered the question you just moved to another word your question is uh, with regard to signification you are intending to say that by saying signification this means that there's an image of the divine which according to us is an impossibility right but when we say an image of the divine is an impossibility it refers to a mental picture of the physical of any physicality relating to god not the spoken word which okay which, are spoken words creatures that spo the spoken word that we speak language <clears throat> is limited in its very nature yeah, so, so it's a creature right so language that we speak is limited now, is it a creature though us, yes it, it language okay, is so a the language signifies but, the divine attributes and the uncreated a creature that, signifies the, the uncreated. yes so the spoken word signifies to a divine creator yes the spoken word it's still a creature it's it doesn't matter yes, if it's spoken or whether it's written the, the created the status is the same who actually said that the spoken word is divine this spoken word that we speak if i speak i'm asking Arabic, you your position the uncreated in, speech well, well in our position we are saying that when the, the revelation of the quran what there are two things that uh, you must make a distinction of one is al-kalamun-nafsi the divine attribute and then there is Al-Kalamu Lafzi, Al-Kalamu the spoken word that we speak. The two. I, I know you distinguish them. I'm asking you how you get out of the dilemma. A, a basic logical example for you. If I say God, when I say God, what am I signifying? If I say Jesus, 
Who am I signifying to? Well, we believe that you can do analogia. You can do analogical predication. Your position says you can't. So that's why I'm asking you this. No, but my position, as you may have misunderstood, is not the way you are articulating my position. We are saying that the, the Quran, for instance, or the divine names of God, when we speak the divine names with the spoken word, created word, they signify towards the divine. But the spoken word that you speak is not divine in itself. I know that. That's why I'm asking you, how do you get out of the dilemma? You just keep restating your position. There's no actual dilemma there. There is a dilemma because you're using created things to pick out and signify distinctions in the uncreated, which you said there's no similarity. A created things not being ascribed to God, meaning... If you I just admitted God, that words are created. You just said speech was created. Where our speech is created. Yeah, and it's signifying the uncreated. Yeah, it can signify towards the... Okay, so how does it pick out and signify something that's totally dissimilar to it? But when you signify something, does it mean comprehension? It I didn't say comprehension, I just said signify. You said signifying indicates, so there's some similarity. If there's no similarity, then you don't know what you're talking about. You say signification is possible, signification is possible. Well, I don't have your doctrine of dissimilarity. So it's not a problem in my system. Comprehension is impossible. Like, divine, the vision of the divine is possible. But does it, the, the comprehension doesn't matter because you've already you've already weighted the the distinction between Allah and this world such that it's not possible for Him to be imaged or signified in any way in created reality. No, so that's it's not incorrect. telling you anything about Allah. That's totally incorrect. What we what we state is that signification towards the divine is possible. Comprehension of the divine is impossible. Okay, how is it possible given there's no similarity? There does not need to be similarity between two okay, things. Okay, then, then, the, then you're not really learning distinct instance, things about Allah, and you don't know if there's distinctions in Allah. For instance, if you if you understand Newtonian physics, uh, there's no similarity. That's a red herring. What is the how do you there's distinguish no the attributes within, in Allah if there's within, no similarity? When within, uh, firstly, effectuation of the God's divine attributes. The, the effects are creatures; they're not God. So you're that's circular. You're relying on another no, creature to distinguish. Effects, when you observe God's divine power in your life, when you observe God's divine on power your in, system, they're creatures. Uh, the effects are the, created. Divine power. When you, you believe feel, the effects are created, when when the effects, when you feel the effects, those effects signify to the divine, don't they? You're just begging the question. I want to know if how you, that's possible in your metaphysic. I know you believe I, that. You just keep I've stating given, the position. I've given you. I've given. No, you, you haven't. You just stated the position. Look at the answer. The answer. You're is, given autobiographical details, not an actual answer to the dilemma. The answer is that you can uh, feel signification of some. Of that's a totally divine. subjective argument. That's circular. That's not subjective. It is circular. It's true because I feel it. For instance. When you see the divine power and the divine will in your daily life. I'm asking you how you know it's the divine power and the divine will. And you're just saying because it's true, because I feel it. So That's a circular see, argument. So with regard to the word God, when you say the word God, does the word God signify to the divine? Yes. It does. The word Jesus, according to you, okay. signifies I, to This is my time to ask the question. You can ask that question in, in your course yes. examination. So uh, it's a rhetorical question. But the point being that when... Yeah, but uh, I don't have... We believe in the essence energy distinction, which is part of how we answer this problem. That's why it's not a problem in our system. The, you don't believe problem, in an essence energy distinction. The, the, prop, the problem that Christians fall into is that they fall into total... Uh, uh, 
total likeness between creation and the divine. No, so we, they, don't, we don't say a total likeness. The word analogical means similar, not total likeness. It's not univocal. We reject univocal predication, so that's not our position. When they uh, ascribe to... No, I'm telling you our position. So you're, you're when, telling me what our... I'm telling you our position is, one minute, is to reject one univocal predication. Uh, when they accept that God is contained within the womb of Mary and contained by the six directions and time and place, they make a total analogy, a total similarity between creation and the divine. No, it's a, a both total. and and not an either or. I mean, you have the same problem when you say Allah speaks into, you believe Allah spoke to people. So you have and, the exact uh, no, same again, problem. Again, 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 the... Uh, uh, I mean, your uh, argument for this was that if it, is, it just seems right. It feels right. Word, so you've already, I, you've already just re relied I've on a circular subjective argument. I've given you the distinction between... I asked for the uh, justification for the distinction, not do you believe in a distinction. We know no, you believe No, but that's it. like... That's like citing uh, a passage, me citing a passage of the Bible when you give its rational interpretation. And I, I asked for an, an argument to justify how you can say that created things you, signify the uncreated, and you said because it feels right because God moves in our no, lives. No, no, I, I used that, but I also said to you the word God for That's time. That's time. Yeah, but in our system, we have the That's time, guys. That's time. That's time. That's time. Stop, 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 stop. There's a lot of interruption and uh, questioning back. Uh, it's enjoyable. Uh, as long as no one feels they're being hard done by, then I'm happy to just allow it to be kind of free flow back and forth. You know, I'm not super strict like that. So, um, but if you need some breathing room, I can give you, you know, 15, 30 seconds. Can you point out the up. rules again? Because people think that they don't know that we listed the rules. Yeah, the rule is that you can interrupt. The interrogator can interrupt the interrogated. The interrogated can't interrupt the interrogator. Uh, the interrogator is the only one who's allowed to ask questions, but the interrogated um, can't ask questions back, right? So, I mean, in this debate, if you if you want to press the rules, I'm happy to enforce the rules. Um, no, I meant for the chat, not like, for him. Yeah, yeah, just for the chat. I mean, if you guys are happy just doing a free, you know, if it becomes more free, I'm flexible that way. That's not a problem for me. So um, it's Asra's... Um, First uh, rebuttal of three. So uh, whenever you're ready, Asra, I'll let you go. Okay, my question is, uh, when you say Jesus is begotten Son of God, does that mean that God instantiated him and he came into being? Uh, he did not come into being the way creatures come into being, but he received his existence eternally from the Father. So how did God create him if he... He's not created. He's not created. So what Correct. do you mean by the word begotten? Eternally begotten means that he's eternally coming from or coming forth from the person of the Father. So uh, he emanates from God. It's not an emanation. It's a uh, natural offspring, a begetting. Begetting is an analogy. It's not, a one it's not univocal. Give a, give a rational example of that. A father begets a son. They have the same nature. Yeah, but a, a son is born in time and instantiated. Correct. The same way that you use uh, Allah as first and last. It's an yeah, analogy. It's an how, analogy. How, how is so it's an analogy of father right. and son, but it means Jesus has no beginning. The what's analogical is what matches up to what's proper to God. Now God is timeless, so it's a timeless begetting according to Psalm one ten and John one. But is is he a, a part of the essence of God or is he a divine attribute? Uh, he is neither. He's a divine person, and there's a distinction between the attributes and the persons. Uh, uh, and there's no parts. So this divine person is a part of the divine essence. There's no parts in the divine essence. It's simple. So the divine essence is one. Correct. But the, the persons are three. Correct. 
But those persons are not attributes. Correct. So what's the distinction between a person and an attribute? Well, for us, attributes are the same as energies or actions. So divine actions are attributes, according to you? Yes. So what's the distinction between a person and an attribute in this particular theology? Uh, I'm not the same thing as the things that I do. If I act to build a house, I'm not the same thing as building a house. So are all three persons distinct or one? They are distinct in one way and they're one in another way. How are they distinct and how are they one? They are distinct in their persons by their relations of origin to the person of the Father and they're one in their nature, essence, and perichoresis or indwelling. So which uh, one do you worship? All three? We worship the person of the Father through the Son and in the Spirit, all three. So when you worship the Father, uh, you intend the worship for the other two at the same time? Correct. So, but at the same time, you believe the Father instantiated the Son? He didn't instantiate him, he eternally begot him, meaning that he eternally came forth from the Father. But what do you mean by came forth? What does that mean? Because as you said to me that uh, the signification argument doesn't make any sense what do you mean by bringing forward it does make sense because we don't an deny analogy, analogical predication give an analogy from our from our theology how that would even make sense if i said god uh, brought forth his divine attribute firstly we do not believe in that but how would that make any sense Again, first of all, it's revealed. So the way that we know who God is and what he is, is on the basis of revelation. So revelation conditions what we believe is logically possible or what is um, the, the created categories of logic are going to be. Reference point is not the mind. It's correct. revelation. Right. Uh, so which revelation you mean the New Testament? No, I mean the whole Bible, the, the theophanies and everything I argued in my opening statement. So the fact that the Bible itself is translated into multiple languages and as we know very well that when one text is translated into a different language the nuances of that text change invariably so which language did jesus speak in order to convey this well that's just resting on assumption that different languages can't convey the same uh, truths or concepts it can't uh, no but the it, when you change one sentence in, Arab, uh, in Arabic or Hebrew or Aramaic or any of those languages. Well, that's just assuming that God didn't providentially guide the scriptures. No, if you say, for instance, uh, Ibnullah in Arabic, the son of God in Arabic, it has a totally different concept to saying begotten, the begotten son of God. Meaning, which language did Jesus relay this message of? Because you're saying you rely on divine revelation. My argument in this debate is that Tawheed is is totally irrational. It's not based on revelation. You don't need revelation to believe in. Yeah, God. and that's why it leads to atheism, right? Because but, it doesn't it doesn't rely on anything but the autonomous mind. But you, you, you're relying on revelation. Right. So I'm saying, which revelation did G was this articulated in? In meaning, for instance, the King James version of the Bible is that divine revelation. So revelation for us is not located only in texts. It's the entire teaching of the Orthodox Church. For us, that is revelation, not merely the written text. So, uh, organized religion in the sense that uh, you would expect us Muslims to adopt the organized religion known as Greek Orthodoxy in order to, to attain salvation. Well, the Greek Orthodox Church is just one of the many national churches. There's, there's Orthodoxy is the same across all of the Orthodox but canonical churches. We have to uh, fall into blind conformity to this church. Well, it's not blind conformity, it's a uh, apologetically provable it's, thing. It's circular reasoning because 
uh, I'm asking you what's the rational yeah but I'm not a classical foundationalist so I admit that there's circularity in reasoning but I'm saying then that would go back to I'm look at the the logic of this I'm saying to you what is the proof for Jesus's divinity you're saying divine revelation Correct. which is the church uh, mm-hmm. and even from amongst the churches not the Catholic Church or the other churches you yeah. mean the Orthodox Church Correct. and then I'm saying would you expect me to to blindly follow this church One just minute. because they claim Jesus is divine I should follow that position no the argument is not follow it because they merely claim it the argument is that the arguments prove it and what's the argument well, I gave you countless messianic prophecies and theophanies that show Meaning that ours is the truth I said to you in what language were those prophecies even made well you're going to have to demonstrate that the concepts can't be tr- uh, translated into multiple languages how do you prove that for That's instance, what this argument if Jesus came here today and Jesus told, uh, informed me of something. I would, follow, seconds. I would follow Jesus, but Jesus would obviously articulate that and, and convey that in a particular language. So what language did Jesus convey this? Again, we believe that Jesus spoke through the entire Bible. So he speaks in all of those texts. And what languages were those texts? It's in multiple translations. I mean, we have liturgies in every language. I mean, you seem to think that it's not possible for God to speak in the vernacular, which is, I think, kind of silly. No, I'm not saying that it's impossible for God to do that. I'm saying that... That's time. Thank you very much. Very nice. More crosses and moons in the chat, guys. I love it. This is enjoyable. Um, I'm glad that it's keeping civil. Um, It's nice to get... It's okay to get heated. Um, I'm very much enjoying this. So whenever you're ready, uh, Jay, to start your next rebuttal, I'm ready. Did God have to create the world? No, he did not. Okay. So, uh, was there potentia in God to create or not create? What do you mean by the term potentia? Was there a potential? For God. To create or not? Did he freely will to create as opposed to could he also have not created? God willed from eternity to create. Okay, but willing and actualizing are not the same thing. He's not obliged. You admit that willing and actualizing is not the same thing though, right? Uh, whatever God has willed from eternity will come about. Okay, so did he choose to create the world? He willed for the world to be created. Mm-hmm. And is that distinct from actualizing the world's existence? The actualization is where the, the point of inception, or the what we refer to as the Tanjis, is also willed. So when the world will come about is willed by God also. Okay, so there was a time when the world was not though, right? Yes. Okay. And so God willed to create in time. That's what your your no, creed books say. The, the will is, the divine will is eternal. I know the divine will is eternal. He, he willed, when he created, he actualized it in time though, right? No, but time itself, uh, what's the definition of time? Time is by definition the movement of bodies because it's something relative and the movement of bodies is relation to creation. So you cannot have time without creation. They're two different things. I understand that. I understand that time's created. What I'm asking about is that from all eternity, right, Allah wills to create, and then at a point, it, it is actualized, right? It's not eternally. Is the creation eternally actualized? Again, when or you effectuated? say at, at, at a point, when it comes, when you say okay, that's point, the point in time that I'm asking you about. But you ha- you can't have a point without creation. So creation itself. That's is what right. I just asked you. Yeah. So yes, so he itself, creates at a point. No. Again, the the when you say at the point you're attempting to place God in time and place, God's free from time and place before the in its Does God have different actions? I'm asking you. A different actions, yes. 
Okay, so creating is different from the other things he does. What you intend by action is different to what I mean. As you would have well known from reading uh, Charlotte Hyde and these So I'm asking you, does creation come about because God wills it at a certain point? Uh, God has willed everything from eternity. And then that thing comes about when he had willed it. For, okay. for Did that he create thing. ex nihilo? Well, the, 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 the divine connection between the instantiation and the, the, the creation... Was the creation from, eternal or did it instantiate at some point? The creation is never eternal. Thank you. So God willed to, at, at some point, have a yeah. power that he didn't always actualize that he then actualized. When God has willed from eternity, you're saying what I'm you talking mean? About, I know you're saying He will from eternal. I'm talking about the creation itself. Let, let me uh, rephrase your question so I understand it well. Do you intend to say that the divine power of God effectuated the existence of creation prior to which the divine power? was not doing anything. Is that what you no, intended? No, I didn't say that. I'm asking you specifically. You know what I'm asking you. I'm asking you about, did God will to create at a certain point? Does it actualize at a certain point? I know it's eternal. You say he's eternally it actually, willed to do it. It actualizes at the point when it's instantiated. Thank you. So there was a movement from potentia to act and thus change in God. No, that doesn't entail a change in it God. It doesn't entail a change. On your system, it does, because your system defines tell, God as pure act. According to our system, it doesn't. I, I tell you why. Because if you read my book, you'd notice that I mentioned effectua- uh, effectuating attributes. Attributes which bring about an effect. Divine power is one of those attributes. Right. When it brings about an effect, it doesn't bring a change in God. So God has potential, though. You're admitting that if he willed to do it and it, there was a change in it not being but and then coming bring, into being. That doesn't, bring, that doesn't bring about a change in God. It does. Ex- because it on, your system, on your system, it, it, it admits potentia in God. God went from... I tell you why it doesn't. The attribute remains the way it is. The effect is uh, comes about. Yeah, but which is you different. say the act the is also God. Change. I'm asking the about act. the act itself. I'm not asking about the, the eternal willing. The action of doing it. Again, if you had read uh, the creed books, they don't say the divine actions are eternal. Did you read that? Right. That's what I'm asking you. So God does but, something that he didn't do what, before. But what what do we mean by divine actions? It means the effectuation. It's so not, he moved from a state of potential no, to action. There was a again, change. There, there was a potential again, for God to create or not to create. And then no, he created. So there was a potential that he actualized. You, if you actually read the books, the books don't say that. What they say. I'm asking you how you answer that. I know you don't believe. I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you if you go refer back to the books, they don't say what you're saying. They say that the actions, divine actions, are not even considered to be a within God. They're not considered to be within God. That's not the belief of the Muslims. Right. You believe they're distinct. I understand that, but that's yes. not answering the question that I'm asking you. I know you but think they, they're distinct. But but if if nothing contingent is coming about within God or His divine attributes, the the question is: How uh, does God act? And there's no potential in God to do something that He didn't have to do. The description of the effect of the divine power. I'm not asking about the effect. You admit no, that He's doing one thing here and something different I'll over there. I'll explain again. When we say Afa'adullah, the divine actions, it's a description of the effect. Okay, we, and I'm asking you about the act itself, because you said that the acts are distinct. Again, why are you not understanding? Because you it? won't answer this question about the act well, itself. I am answering the question. No, you're not. You're just talking about the I effects. Am, 
Again, so you're skirting the question. Because one minute, one minute. I, I tell you why I'm I am answering your question. What is the act itself? The act is a description of the effect of the divine power. No, so the act is the effect. So you just you just you just didn't answer the question. That's what we mean by the acts of God. Okay, that's if why it doesn't work. Don't you no, understand what I'm asking? Go, what, that's why I'm pointing out. You're just you looking go, at the effects. That's why your system, beginning with man's mind, doesn't work because you don't have because all you go to is causal chain. You never you get to the thing. Thirty itself. seconds. Thirty you seconds. You have to give a correct citation of our actual position. I'm I mean, asking you the position. It, it, I'm telling you the position that when we say divine action, you just said it's the that, effects. When we no, yes, it's a description of the. Effect. So the act is the effect. I'm asking you what the act is, and you're saying it's the effect. Yes. Okay, that doesn't make sense because the act is God, the effect is no, a creature. Why it doesn't make sense to you is because no, when because you, you're not getting the you don't even you get the objection. Act, you're not even getting the objection. Time, 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 time. Whoo! Wow. Very, very nice, very nice. More moons and, and crosses in the chat. Hype, hype train. Um. Okay, again, if you need, you know, 15 or 30 seconds to get your thought out, then, uh, you know, feel free to, to, to ask. Um, so, yeah, this is the third, uh, sorry, this is Asra's second uh, cross-examination, I believe. Um, so, uh, whenever you're ready, Asra. Yes, so, uh, <clears throat> when you say Jesus, who is divine and a part of the divine essence, entered the womb of Mary... You believe God entered the womb of Mary and came out the private organ of Mary, and w doesn't this defile God? Doesn't this? I specifically uh, said he, there's no parts in God, so you keep attributing parts because you think the distinctions entail. No, but uh, the, the fact no that you believe Jesus is uh, human and divine. He's a he's divine person who assumed human nature. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so he had human nature. Right. So you believe he was contained in the womb of Mary. When he came out, was he covered in blood? Uh, no, the the birth from Mary was a virgin birth. Yeah, but when even when uh, women give birth, they give birth, the, the child is covered in blood. Was Jesus covered in blood at the time of birth? No, because the covering in blood is part of the effects of the fall, and Jesus, Jesus was not Jesus coming out from the private organs of a woman, isn't this a defilement of... God Almighty Himself. No, the biological existence was created by God. There's nothing inherently defiling about the body. And no, He was not born according to the, the case, fall. Then why, why would God outlaw uh, the woman when she's in a menses in a periods in the Old Testament? All these laws are. I just, I just denied that His birth was according to natural process. But it's the, a the virgin birth. It's a miracle. You said that the the defilement of. Uh, I said that there's nothing inherently defiling about biology, and I added that he did not have a natural birth. But if if there's nothing defiling about uh, natural birth, uh, in this case, or you say generally... Yeah, there's a different reason for the virgin birth. No, but the... Again, I said there's not a biological defilement. I didn't, I didn't the, say there's not a moral defilement. A woman... So you're confusing biology with spirituality. It's two, two different no, but things the, a woman urinates from her private organ. For God to come out of that private organ. No, that's just based on your presupposition that that's no, defiling. It's not yes, presupposition it because Mary Mary did relieve herself. Sure. Didn't she? Sure. Yeah, so for God to come out of that, is that not... Uh, it's, going it's no more defiling the, than God creating those organs. And uh, so God I mean, this is silly. 
when God creating those organs, it doesn't mean God touches those organs or anything of that nature. It doesn't matter because He still created it. It's not, it's yeah, not tactile touching. God, come, God coming because you think physical that, things are defiling. <laughs> if if that weren't the case, then why would the laws of menstruation? This is why I mentioned the laws of menstruation because they were they were typological. They were types of what was to come. No, but at that point, I mean, I'm woman, telling you what our position is. Uh, or, or if a person relieves themselves, why do they clean themselves? Because it's considered impure. That's not physical. That's not Even a spiritual defilement. That's a that's a cleanliness. The, that's clean. You're, Moses, that, we don't believe the, that physical ritual impurity is the same thing. When as moral Moses impurity. would enter the temple, he would wash himself, bathe himself, clean himself. Yeah, moral moral purity is different from ceremonial purity. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But I'm saying that there's a, defi a defilement of on your presupposition. Body. It's a defilement. No, it's not. When Jesus was laid on the cross, was he naked? No. What, the, all historians will tell you when people were crucified. All historians. So you keep appealing to all these, uh, these uh, fallacies. All historians. You can't show all historians. That's a fallacy, by the way. It wouldn't matter how many historians say that. If you, if you go to valid historians, they will tell you Romans when they were in That's another fallacy. That's when, the, that's the, uh, that's the purity fallacy that only the valid historians. So you just keep using fallacies. regions. Uh, would Jesus eat food and drink? Who are the pure? Who are the true historians? That's a fallacy. No, but Jesus, when he would eat and drink, uh, would he relieve himself? Yes, he had biological processes. So, again, is that not uh, an insult to God and the no, the, the society to God that to ascribe these things to God? No, does because it, God created that biological process itself. So, if, uh, again, if it's wrong to participate in it, then he shouldn't have created it. Ascribe impurities to God. Now that's just your presupposition of what's impure. Then how can again any anyone who has these contingent attributes would by definition be perishing? Yeah, but you're 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 thinking in either ors, right? So the divine hypostasis of Christ underwent no change. So he doesn't become contingent as if he underwent change. We believe he underwent he does no become change contingent because the very meaning of what no, do you? He doesn't. No, only in your dialectical system. And I'm telling you that we reject what, your dialectics you, of opposition. What, what do you exactly mean by contingent? It's a both end and not an either or. So he didn't become contingent by stepping into time and space. what do you mean by contingent? What's your definition of contingent? Well, he entered into time and space in the same way that he entered into time and space what's in all the theophanies. Generally, what's your con definition of contingent? Contingency would be subject to change, would be uh, related to creation, would be related to composition. So all of those things are features of his human nature. I, the I divine hypostasis of Christ didn't go undergo change. I would define co contingency as existence after non-existence. Yeah, his human nature came into yep. existence. I already said so that. He, so his human nature, which is also divine. No, it's not. So he has, he's a combination. He's created. His divine uh, nature I, is divine. His human nature is not so, divine. The God created god created a human body correct within, within the womb of mary correct but that human body which is jesus is the logos which transferred it's not a, it's not a transformation it's a joining it's a both and not an either how or did join? How, did, how did the god the divine essence join with the body it's a divine person that possesses a divine essence that are joined to, how, to how human did he nature possess? how did he possess how did he do it yeah, he's, meaning, he's God. Uh, he can do that. Does, the same way that he can speak in time and space like you believe. No, we don't believe he can speak in time and space. Uh, did we, Allah speak to people? We don't say that. We don't say, again, that's you. One minute. That's a straw man argument. Did God, did, does the Quran say Allah spoke to anyone? You're making a presupposition. and then. Yeah, well, when I asked you what it meant, you couldn't answer. Again, my question is, how did the divine transfer himself from the from the throne, from a place 
to the, the womb of Mary, meaning, is that what you mean? Into, he's not contained in any time. He's not contained in a place, but he can did step he in It's because it's a both and. He can do both. It's not an did either he or. Did he submerge with the... Uh, with the uh, 30 seconds. Body ...and with Mary at that time? No, it's not submerged. He underwent no change. I don't know how many times I have to say that. He underwent no change, but that doesn't make any logical sense because Why? you're saying he, he was formed in the womb of Mary... But that's the human. But you're part. just assuming that he underwent but a change how, by doing how that. How did the divine enter the human flesh? The same that way that the divine enters into any point in time and space. So that's again you, a difference between well, generally us. Generally speaking, you believe the divine can enter time and place. We believe God is omnipresent. That's yes, time. He is everywhere that's present. That's time. That's time. That's time. Wow! More crosses and moons in the chat. Just gonna let a little breather. All right, so um, this is Jay's third cross-examination of three, and then it will be Astra's third cross-examination of three. Um, again, same rules apply if you need yep. 15, 30 seconds. I'm ready. So in your previous discussion, you appeal to a natural disposition of people in a pagan state. Well, we actually have people like Aristotle who did not conclude with the position that you conclude with. In fact, he did reason and came to the conclusion of eternal creation and so to appeal to a natural disposition is to commit the naturalist fallacy, as I pointed out. So uh, you can't just say, well, uh, there's, a, there's a, a natural disposition that's out there that if people would just reason correctly, they would come to the conclusions that I come to. Because you said that, that that's where they, would, they should properly come to. Well, we have countless in instances of pagans who don't come to those conclusions, that don't come to classical theism. And you said, well, but Christians debate. Okay, but every position, right, comes to different positions. There's a lot of debates. What's so, the question? so the question is, why are you appealing to these fallacies as if they're arguments against Christianity? Okay, uh, why I mentioned natural disposition was because, uh, what? firstly, I'm not solely referring to ra ra uh, natural disposition. I'm referring to the rational mind, that from the rational mind, a person can reach this conclusion that God exists. Now, why I mentioned that? Why okay, so you're starting from creatures. Why, why it's not a fallacy is because I'm saying that even you will, will agree with me that a person can conclude that a divine being exists who is all-powerful, all-knowing, up to that point. No, we don't believe that. I don't believe in natural theology. That's what I'm telling you, that your system is inconsistent because you start <laughs> epistemically with natural theology, and then you try to move to these things but, that go outside you, of nature and causation, well, you, and you, you have an atomist position and an occasionalist position that doesn't can, even allow for causal change. Can, can a person... Uh, naturally conclude that there is a God. Yes, the true God, yes. yes. But they know it not by the by not by rational deduction, they know okay. it in their I, inner I, heart. Okay. Not by rational deduction according to you. Mm -hmm. But if that's if you limit You said you start with the created mind of man. If you that's if you limit natural deduction to causal arguments, but you can also Okay, are you an occasionalist? Do you believe in causal chains or not? If for instance uh the, I'm just making a point that if someone deduces that there is a divine creator from the, the creation of everything around him, uh, that's not the argument of Aristotle. Uh, that's not Aristotelian logic necessarily. It's a person can observe the sun and the moon and everything around them and conclude that there is a divine God. Okay, but do you understand and, that and, Aristotle's and they, reasoning led him to and, conclude? And they believe in certain additional attributes of God Almighty. To yeah, but I want to know how you get to that from to natural that point, revelation. 
Christians and Muslims agree. No, they don't. But, I'm telling you right now, we don't agree. I'm, I'm critiquing your position and you're not answering. Okay, so, the, so the question for you, from, from me to you at that point was, why? Uh, what rational basis do you have for Trinity? And you went on to Revelation. But I gave an example of how people can rationally get to my position. That's the point of mentioning that. No, I asked you specifically how you get from created things and causal chains when we don't know actually if your position even actually affirms causal chains to some creator. Uh, again, uh, the, the observation of creation alone alludes to the existence of a divine That's creator. That's what I'm asking you to justify. And you're just saying it is the case. I'm asking for the justification of that claim. Of the claim of creation alluding to a creator. Yes, in my that's book, presupposing that it is a creation. I want to know why it's a creation by a single creator. Because the again, because creation itself is not that's, self. That's presupposing that it's a creation. I'm asking yeah, you how you know I it's a creation. Don't say that it's a creation again. You just keep employing the term, employing the word creation in a in a general sense. There is no such thing as creation in a general sense. In, so you, you're, the, you're just the, the using circular sense. arguments. Every one of your replies is circular. What, what what would you refer to as creation? I want to know the justification of your position. The world it's us, not my position. Uh, I want to know your justification. Do you know what it means world, to give a justification? The world around us is not self-sustainable. Okay, it's that's not, the assumption of your position. I want to know how you know that. How we know that because when we observe everything around us... Okay, so you know that it's true by observation, by observing. That's course, a circular argument. It's not... It is. You just because, stated a circle. Because when we observe everything around us, everything is perishing in nature. How do you everything know everything is perishing unless you have access to all things? How we know is because we know the entire universe is physical in nature. You as an individual know the entire physical universe when you, when you begin with sense data. You said you begin with sense data. How do you have a universal knowledge state? I'll tell you how I know. Uh, everything in the universe is either moving or still. I just asked you how you know a universal state of affairs and you Again, restated I a universal you, state of affairs. Because everything in the known universe is yeah, either... This is, your, your circle, this is a circle? No, no, it's not circular. I'll tell you how. I want to know it, how... You you I, don't I, have I, access to everything. Do you I, have access I, I, to everything? I, I know with my mind, rational judgment is... Your mind has access to everything? No, uh, did you okay, read Okay, the, then you don't know. Did you read the part on rational judgment? I'm asking you. Did you read the part? I don't want, I'm asking you right now okay, how I you have think. access to universal states of affairs. Unrational judgment. Your mind is not universal. I'm answering your question. You said you know sense data. If I said to you... How do you if, get from sense data to universal states of if affairs? You read, if you read the two parts of my book I mentioned... Can you tell us right I'm now? Telling, so we, we don't I'm have your book. Can you tell I us? I mentioned... I'm telling you. Rational judgments and I mentioned empirical judgments. And in the rational judgments... I mentioned rational judgments are those things which are formulated from the mind alone. One of those rational judgments... Is your mind created? Of course, so you're well, begging the question, again, how do you get to again, a universal state of affairs? The, the, you just the, state the, your the, position. You're not actually giving a single argument for the position. It's unnecessary justification. From, Stating from your rational, position is not a justification. Judgments. I know from my rational judgments, I know everything in the universe is either moving or still. Okay, that's a circle. I, I asked you how, one and minute. you said because it's, because it's so. Because I know everything is moving or still. You, you don't know that because you begin with sense data. I'm I, asking I you how that. that got into your mind. Your mind's not, you, you're not omniscient. I tell you how you know that from your mind. If a person was born deaf and blind, he would know that. That's a particular instance. That's not a no, universal. If someone, You're if trying to person, get to universals from particulars. Guess person, what? You can't do it. If there was a person who was born deaf and blind, he would know rational judgment. 30 seconds. 
He would know that's, it's impossible. The fa- that's again, to do. you're, you're trying to say that because that's a state of affairs, it's a justification. So you he, don't know what it means to justify he, a claim in basic would, epistemology. He would know that something... That's not, not an argument. The fact that some is, random guy knows something, say. and by the way, if, that doesn't justify if, it. If, some, if someone is, is born without any empirical data, physical data, he would know something is impossible to me. How do you know that? You're just saying that. You go and check with someone who's born blind. Okay, that's a time, particular time, time, empirical data. Time, 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 time. All right. Asra's uh, final uh, rebuttal. Whenever you're ready, Asra. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Going back to <clears throat> what I mentioned with regard to uh, Jesus and his divinity, you said that the only way you know of Jesus' divinity is through revelation, and the revelation is the Gospels or, or the whole Bible, as you state. And the and the church so how do you know the bible and the church are authentic because of the impossibility of the contrary by via a transcendental argument explain that so all the other worldviews and systems out there have basic moves in epistemology metaphysics and ethics that lead to contradictions our position is the only one that gives a coherent account for that and that's because our trinitarian metaphysics allows for that uh, how does your Trinitarian uh, metaphysics make more sense with the Tawhid that I articulated, which would make more sense for uh, than a man being God? Because this claim of ma- a man being God was yeah, not so only appeals made, to more sense uh, and common sense or fallacy. It's not made only by you're just appealing uh, to fallacy. Your church, it's also made by uh, in America, for instance. You have every other decade you have people claiming to be divine. None of that's relevant to what's true or false. And in fact, you have even the Vesarian in so Russia. Another now. fallacy. Meaning, he would say that he relies on his church. That how is that found. relevant to us? How is that relevant to what's true or false? How do you determine the uh, the truthfulness of these claimants? Well, if by it, argumentation, by logic, by revelation, all those things. What type of logic? Because you reject circular reasoning uh, as a fallacy in itself. Uh, at the ultimate paradigm level, I affirm circular reasoning. I mean, ultimately, for us, God is the final authority. So he is the final authority that, that is self-referencing. But again, how would you ref- reference to God? Well, uh, through a lot of different ways. I could look at the Bible. I could look at logic. I could look but at mathematics. Again, I could look at the, that, all the things that, that I'm telling you. That in itself is the circular reasoning that that is totally irrational. Meaning, you're saying you believe in Jesus being divine because of the Bible. But then you say... No, you I presented a transcendental argument, which is a specific type of argument. Yeah, and I said to articulate the transcendent. Yeah, it's an argument by the impossibility of the contrary. Uh, that the impossibility of the church being falsified. Of Christianity and uh, teaching false or the Trinity not being true of the whole Christian paradigm, yes. Th- that Christianity cannot be falsified logically Correct. and right. rationally. But that's what you, you that's, believe. No, that's not what a transcendental argument, that's part of the argument. A transcendental argument is that an argument that if we have knowledge, knowledge has preconditions, and the preconditions are more fundamental and more certain than the knowledge itself, those transcendental categories well, themselves you're, prove you're, the Trinity. How, how do you even know Jesus claimed divinity in, in Jerusalem, which is not the case? Historically, it can never be substantiated from independent... I mean, we just lectured through the Gospel of John. Every chapter has uh, references then, to Christ, again, uh, Christ's deity uh, and the Trinity. The Gospel of John, and then we go into the historicity of the Gospels themselves, the Council of Nicaea, they couldn't, meaning for hundreds of years, they, there was no even there was no consensus on the Gospels. 
So how, how do you know that those four Gospels are the only authentic Gospels? When right, so, but I'm not a Protestant, so that objection doesn't apply to me because I believe in the tradition of the Church. You believe in the tradition of the Church, but uh, so, uh, the Church did not have a consensus for 300 years. So? So for 300 years, there was a possibility of other Gospels being truthful. No, because the church didn't just rely on books; they relied on tradition. That's what I just said. But you you rely on again. You rely on a body of men in the in the yep. council that were formed, and you, you no, well, not just that, but also bishop. apostolic succession, right? So the bishopric has a succession by apostolic, which we know uh, succession from Jesus was mm -hmm. in Peter, for instance. Why couldn't they determine the the authenticity of those gospels from the early years? Well. They had different Gospels, and the authenticity was determined in successive councils. Which one was the actual Gospel of Jesus? Well, there's four different Gospels that record different aspects. Well, so it's, read, the word we, Gospel refers to the we, whole we, revelation. These current Gospels, Jesus went to such and such place and preached the Gospel. What Gospel was Jesus preaching? Okay, so this is a word-concept fallacy. The word Gospel is used in different senses. Sometimes it refers to the total revelation that the whole church has. Sometimes it refers to what Jesus is specifically teaching at that day. And sometimes it refers to the written text, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The authentic gospel, as I would understand it, is the actual gospel of Jesus. Where is the gospel of Jesus? It's the whole apostolic deposit that he gave to the church. So you're saying the teachings of Jesus are contained within the four gospels themselves? I just said it's the entire deposit, both written and oral, that the church possesses. So this body of the church from the time of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, mm -hmm. you believe this body could not agree for 300 years with regard to the correct... Oh, it's gospel. not that they couldn't agree. It's that the church spread throughout the Roman Empire and different people had different things. But, the, but there were many gospels which were rejected. Were they untrue? Yeah. Were they, they what? Were they were untrue. And those Christians who wrote them were false prophets. Yeah, just like your... your Religion has people that committed heresy and taught false things too. So what is this supposed to prove? No, but the difference is that in Islam, there's never been another Quran. There's no other Quran. There's no one claiming to have another Quran. Okay, you don't think the modern liberal higher critical scholarship isn't attacking the Quran? No, they don't claim to have a, a, a different revelation. The that, that's not the point. You're making yeah, the argument the, that because people dispute the text, it's therefore not true. I'll tell you the actual difference. For 300 years, we didn't have a lack of consensus of what Jesus or what the prophet actually taught. In Christianity, for 300 years, no, we no that's a fallacy. We, we do have a minute. consensus. The consensus saying, is a, no, you, you, that only works against the Protestant. Your argument the doesn't fallacies, work on me because I'm the not a Protestant. Actually, actually, the fallacy is in your claim that there's a succession of uh, pristine teachings of Jesus being preserved for hundreds of years yeah, in succession. So, so which we is can read it. Case. It's right here. Right, you got a lot of books behind you. So do I. I could, I, we can read these. No, but it's that's not actually the case that you've had a systematic. And if you had read these, you would know it is. The first three hundred years, thirty uh, seconds. You rely on a body of people to tell you that Jesus was God, but there's no actual. Uh, no, the Gospels predate the first 300 years, so that's, no a, that's a fundamental mistake. The Gospels predate the people the first 300 years, so that's Jesus fundamentally wrong. That Jesus actually uh, you don't know about the you don't even know what's true of the first 300 years of the church. The uh, Jesus, uh, there's no actual uh, authentic yeah. Christology from right here. Jesus. Do you see these right here? There's there's a whole bunch of it right there. So you don't know what no, you're talking about. Of course, of course you, you time. I, mean, time. I can list time. you the authentic time. 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 Woo. All right.
Great. Uh, now's a good time to post your super chat questions if you want to post super chats. In the description below, there's a link. Go to Streamlabs. And if you want to have Q&A session, send your questions in via Streamlabs. Uh, Do you time. have the Streamlabs access there? Like, can you see it on the page? I actually, uh, no, I'm just saying it because you told me to say it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see if I, can, if I can get you access to where you can see these questions. Um, nah, that's something that should have been figured out earlier. That's fine. Um, just, uh, just, just read them out and just kind of be like, you know, a 50-50 with the questioning. If most so is, the, is this the conclusion or what, where are we at? Yeah, this is, uh, we're at five minute concluding statements now each. Yeah. Uh, whose turn is it? Uh, yours. Okay. Whenever you're ready. All right. So in conclusion, I would just kind of restate, I guess, um, the points I made in my opening um, address, which I don't think any of the arguments were actually answered. I brought up multiple specific, precise arguments about the uh, the position that Azrar takes on um, God's relationship to time, God's relationship to the created order, to uh, the, the notion of change or potentia if God willed to create and it came to be at a point in time. I'd like to see how that isn't a change in God. I know he tried to answer it. I know he tried to give other answers to the epistemology, which he never answered. So I didn't ever actually hear any, any solutions. I heard statements of positions but a statement of a position is not the same thing as actually giving an argument or a justification. So in logic and philosophy, merely stating a position or making appeals to common sense or natural disposition, these are fallacies. This is the naturalist fallacy, right? This is the fallacy of appealing to uh, common sense, the, the appeal to the masses. Well, we all know this. All histor The real historians know this. Those are all fallacies. They have no place in a debate. The fact that Christians have debated in the past about things Totally irrelevant to the position being true or false. So all of that, all of that needs to just be brushed aside. And I want to re-emphasize re and stress that I gave multiple arguments from the text of Scripture about multiplicity in God. I began the debate by pointing out that his own position requires and necessitates and demands real distinctions in God at multiple levels, distinctions between the attributes and the entity, or what they call entity, they mean essence, distinctions between the attributes and other attributes, distinctions between the uh, acts of God and God himself, which he identified as the effect or the cause, which itself is nonsensical. The creation is not the act of the creator, right? He's confusing the action with the effect, right? As if the act is the same as the effect. His own system doesn't even make sense of that. That's why I was asking him about the, the eternal creation question, because if God's act is the same as God, that's the problem, you see. Now creation can't be distinguished as a specific action distinct from the other acts of God. So the question was about ultimately epistemology. I asked him how he knew things when he begins with natural theology and natural philosophy and an empiricist starting point. I, I'm stressed three times that I was specifically addressing his assumption of Aristotle's epistemology on the question of what is better known to us as opposed to what is better known in itself. He replied three times, if I recall, that he doesn't agree with everything Aristotle said. I didn't say he agreed with everything Aristotle said. I didn't say that their position follows everything in Aristotle. I specifically honed in on his book and the chapter on epistemology, relying on the basic presuppositions of Aristotle, and I critiqued Aristotle's presupposition, and he never answered it. He didn't even try to. I also critiqued the causal chain points in creation, which his atomist occasionalist position denies. 
So he fundamentally believes that there's not causal chains or created secondary causes in the created world because that would be to give creatures the power of Allah. So he's an occasionalist. He believes that at every point, presumably, right, Allah is just willing it in and out of existence, right? He, he's willing at every point. And there's no actual causal chains between things in the created order, unless he disagrees with that atomist occasionalist position. But if he does, then I'd like to know how he gets to causal chain in the created order telling him that there's a first cause, right? Because that's the great point about this stupid argument. I'm not saying he's stupid. I'm saying the cosmological arguments are stupid because they rely on a similarity between the first cause and the causal chains or the cause in the created order. And that's what his position fundamentally denies, which is any analogia or any similarity between created things and the uncreated. What? Did you say something? I say one minute, okay. sorry. So again, I want to stress that I think that was one of the uh, uh, key points. I know that he's not identifying the eternal speech of Allah with creatures. I know that he thinks that created speech is a created thing, but he kept saying that it signifies, he kept saying that it indicates which is, again, the problem in the position. And he restated his position as if that was an argument. Yeah, but I think they're distinct. Yeah, but I think it can signify. 30 seconds. Okay, thinking you can, saying that it can do that, is not a justification for how it does that, given the rest of your system and the absolute dissimilarity of Allah to creatures, which undercuts his whole epistemology and his whole natural theology project. All right, that's uh, 10 seconds left on the clock. And uh, whenever you're ready, Asra, for your concluding statement, uh, go ahead. Yes, uh, with regard to concluding this, firstly, what was mentioned uh, with regard to time, I would like to say that uh, God instantiating something and by that instantiation of that creation coming about is the cause of time, does not affect God in any way or his divine attributes. I don't know why... Uh, Jay keeps pressing on that point. Additionally, epistemology was mentioned. He mentioned empiricism, but if he quoted my epistemology correctly, he would know that our epistemology is a combination of both empiricism and rationalism because we divide judgments into empirical judgments and rational judgments and a combination of both. We do not rely solely on empirical judgments. So that's another fallacy which he kept mentioning. Af'alullah, divine actions of Allah, if he quoted the books of theology which he read uh, correctly, he would know that when uh, the Muslim theologians say divine acts, that's just a, a description of the affection of the uh, the effect of the divine power of God. So the, that's a description. It's not, but because uh, uh, Christians are anthropomorphic in their theology, when the word divine acts is utilized, they conceptualize straight away an action like human beings so uh, uh, an analogy between or a, we would say a likeness between human beings and god almighty which is uh, another uh, additional uh, fallacy now uh, the signifying point uh, which was pressed upon again i said that when we we state that the created words of human beings signify towards God, this in any way does not make similarity between God and creation. I don't know why that point hasn't sunk in. If I say God, we understand what is meant, but do we comprehend everything about God? No. 
but the word God signifies towards God. This is how we, re we read divine revelation, that it signifies towards God, but we do not comprehend God and his divine attributes. We understand, like the way someone understands God, when the word God is stated, we understand God, but we do not comprehend God. Likewise, with divine revelation, when we say it signifies to the divine attribute, this is what is meant. Some Christians in the past have even quoted fallacies like the Quran will turn into uh, will intercede for people therefore the divine speech when in reality that is referring to the creation of recitation so these are certain fallacies which are utilized now to conclude uh, I articulated Tawhid I believe very well and very rationally for all the audience to understand what is meant by Tawhid but I believe Trinity has not been given a, an articulate rational position and in fact, it led to circular argument that I stated, how do you know with regard to the divinity of Christ? He said through the Bible and the church. And I said, how do you know even with regard to the authenticity of the Bible and the church continuity? It's circular reasoning. It's totally irrational. There needs to be a, a, a rational articulation of why Jesus of Nazareth specifically is God Almighty who came onto earth in the form of a human being who was contained by the six directions and who entered creation because the, we as Muslims believe the divine power only relates to rational possibilities. What do we mean by rational possibilities? That which the mind deems as being possible. So for instance, questions like, can God create a boulder so heavy that he himself cannot pick up the boulder? These are flawed questions because the divine power only relates to possibilities. One of those impossibilities is for God to lie. God doesn't lie because his divine power doesn't relate to lying. So the divine speech doesn't relate to lying. But with Christian, uh, this Christian method, uh, God does have the power to lie. So how do you know the Bible isn't a lie? Because the entire Bible... One minute. The entire Bible can be a lie. The church can be a lie. Because God, if God has power over everything, including the impossibilities, this would mean God has the power to lie. How do you know the Bible isn't a lie? How do you know everything contained in the Bible and contained within the church and the church fathers isn't a lie? But in, according to Muslim theology, the divine power only relates to possibilities. Lying is an impossibility to be ascribed to God. Likewise, God coming on the earth as a man is an impossibility. God being contained with time and place is an impossibility because the divine will and the divine power only relate to that which is rationally possible. So therefore, uh, the I believe the Tawheed position is the only rational position the uh, from the, the mind alone without recourse to scripture because all the scripture you quoted, Jews give a different interpretation to the Old Testament and then the Christians within themselves have over 70 sects give a, a different interpretation. That's time, Sheikh. Sheikh, okay. Um, so this is question uh, time. So, sorry. Oh no, I'm, I'm a terrible moderator. Um, okay, so uh, I think my proposal is that we do this like, uh, so there's a question and then the person who it's asked to gets one minute and then the, the other person gets one minute if they have a response. Uh, does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, I don't care. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of these aren't even questions. They're just, like, statements, so. Um, maybe rephrase them as a question or something? But I have one question. Well, I mean, they're like... And this is for Sheikh Hasra. And this is... Um, uh, it's, 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 the question is, is a person's choice, and this is with regards to uh, Kesib or occasionalism, is a person's choice with respect to free will under divine power 
or is it not under divine power? Uh, could you explain how either of these positions might affect uh, Tawheed? Thanks, that's all my questions. So free will, uh, which is cusp, uh, cusp is acquisition, and free will is a choice. This is an inbuilt ability created within human beings, like the ability to speak. We have within us a free choice with certain regards, a limited free choice. Within that, so the power of God relates to creating that and sustaining that within us. So the choice in itself could be described as a mode, a mode that we choose from within that inbuilt created choice. So the mode is the action of the human, while the the creation of free will is an inbuilt system, like this the system uh, of speech, for instance, what Chomsky mentions with the the inbuilt system of linguistics within us. Uh, the while the acquisition is the exercising of that free will and that's described as a mode but we would say it's created by God but the human will is a mode uh, what, what is referred to in Kalam as Hal Alright um, Jay if you have a one minute response to that or if you have one at all I mean I think it just goes back to uh, points that I have stressed throughout the debate which is that at every point uh, I mean he started his epistemology with natural theology with uh, his own mind as he said and sense data and then he claimed to have access to universal states of affairs he backed that up by saying it's just the case it's obvious it's there so uh, anything that he says in theology begins with his own created mind and sense data I'm not saying that he doesn't believe in other things. I know you believe in reasoning and universals and all these things. But my question was about justification. And you never justified any of the arguments or claims. You just said it is the case. So I think you fundamentally don't know what a justification is. Okay. Uh, so what, what questions do you have, Jay? Um, I, uh, that uh, response wasn't responding to the free will question. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's true, but... Okay. Um, Rush around so, 333 says God bless Byzantine Bigo says for $10 Great work Especially on Rockfin uh, Thank you for I'm donating to the Cargo Pant Fund Ortho Boomer $5 Glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Forever and ever, Amen Dinaric Sultan 771 I can't read that, it's in Russian Joe D. Play $10, Jesus loves you Victor Ziegler $50 God bless you both Roll stakes, ten dollars. Glory to Jesus, Jay, uh, and for thanks for the debate and the content. Mango Man, three dollars. Nice, yummy. A debate. Uh, Atheist Chaplain, ten dollars. I've seen and heard several debates between Jay, believers and atheists. So far, Christendom has points others do not have or pretend to have. Uh, doctrine, it matters. A, $10, was Allah defiled? Okay, I'm not going to read that. That's um, that's gross. Uh, A, 5 bucks. Uh, why is there no consensus of hadith with Shia or between various Sunni sects after 1,400 years? Is that a question for you? Yeah, I think that's a question for you, Sheikh. Yes, so uh, again... Uh, we do not claim that there is a consensus on the hadith between Shia and Sunnis, but they agree on a large body of the hadith. So the Shia even utilized the Sunni hadith. The Shia utilized the Sunni hadith. The Sunnis may not use some of the Shia hadith, 
but the Shia will reject some of the Sunni hadith, but they agree upon a large body. Secondly, hadith is not similar to the Quran. We do not equate the two revelations. So the, the Quran is different to hadith. A asks again, is hadith supposed to be a kind of revelation? Uh, hadith is the, it contains the actions, the sayings, and the tacit approvals of the Prophet, which is a type of revelation like the actions of Jesus, as you mentioned, with regard to the living gospel. In that sense, it is a revelation. Amir $5, uh, he says, if the Quran is, eter is eternal, Allah has to order and make things happen according to the eternal Quran. Does that make the Quran Allah's own God? I repeat the question, please. If the Quran is eternal, Allah has to order and make things happen according to this eternal Quran. Does that make the Quran Allah's own God? I'm not understanding the question yet. The, the, the I think he's asking if the, if the Quran, I think my interpretation is, is the Quran conditioning Allah to create? That's basically what, what I understand the, the question to be. The, the Quran is is firstly you have the divine attribute of divine speech and the revelation of the books meaning Al-Injila, Torah is an aspect of the divine speech which is signified which what me and Jay were debating with regard to signification and the Quran then from the divine speech informs us of certain things so the Quran does not dictate to God what to do the attributes of God do not dictate to God Visor Wise five dollars uh, do you think Hatun Tash has proven many versions of the Quran in existence throughout the Muslim world? Uh, no, because, again, why I agreed to debate uh, Jay Dyer is because of the philosophical aspect. But with Hatun Tash, the arguments are actually fallacious arguments. I mean, if they were true arguments, I would actually acknowledge the truthfulness of those arguments. She's pointing out to something known as Qira'at which is different to a different version of the Qur'an. The Qira'at relates to dialects within the Qur'anic revelation, and the dialects do not contradict the content. And those dialects are adopted by Muslims as the Qur'an. So the script of the Qur'an is one. But what she does is she points out these dialectics, uh, dialects within the revelation of the Qur'an and states it's a fallacious arguments which some Christians buy into, but the argument is flawed uh, to say that there are different Qur'ans, 36 Qur'ans. It's a flawed argument. It doesn't work because the Muslims accept the Qur'an with its various dialects within the one script. So the orthography is one orthography. The, the written Qur'an is one Qur'an. But certain words can be recited in different ways. And that is what she refers to as different versions of the Qur'an. But what I'm referring to is totally different gospels which were which are totally different in content yeah but those aren't accepted in the church so it's irrelevant to what we're talking about again i, I mean yeah, so what the, was relating to you was not the actual rejection of those gospels what i was discussing was the the consensus aspect uh within those 300 years not the actual authenticity of the gospels but within those three yeah, the church is not based only on the written text i don't know how many times no, i have to the, stress this the lack of consensus in those 300 years that was what i was referring to yeah but the church is not only based on written text so again but the lack of consensus would would entail that the uh consensus of the church is unreliable 
Well, we don't think that every person in every time period is part of the, quote, consensus. That's why we have ecumenical councils. So for us, that's the highest level of authority. So, so when the ecumenical councils were uh, something of 300 years later, so prior to that, there were no ecumenical councils. Right. So what? So that was the time of dispute. So right. for 300 years, you have a, a chain that the continuity... Yeah, but that, the people disputing has nothing to do with whether it's true or false. No, but the continuity of the church is then questionable. No, it's not, because there are people from every one of those periods in profuse amounts of writings. But then this goes back to my initial argument that there is uh, blind conformity to those individuals. It's not blind conformity. It is. Don't you understand the Gospels precede those people? No, but the thing is... They do. Yes, they do. Within those 300 years, those people determine what the authentic Gospels were for the... The congregation. There are texts that precede the fathers of the third and second century. There's five thousand plus New Testament texts. There are texts. other texts also. So I'm saying, how do you make the distinction? Because there's the a visible group of people that have apostolic succession and the tradition that goes into how they interpret the text. That, that a visible group that has those people who dispute that position of that visible group. Yeah, but not the whole group. It's not everybody disputing it. That's the assumption that you're making. All right, let's move on. Al Crow at $5. How does Jay answer Maximus' confession in Ambiguum 7 that God is eternally active as creator? Uh, he does not say that. In fact, the entire Ambiguum, all of them are actually against the idea of an eternal creation. So you are confusing the Logi. That's what uh, Ambiguum 7 is about, the Logi, which are not the eternal actions of creating. They're the patterns of creation. Uh, and you're confusing the dunamis, the power of God to create, with the actualization of that power. So God doesn't have to create. He didn't create every logical possible world. So there are possible worlds that God didn't create. So you are fundamentally misunderstanding Maximus. And you said, uh, how does Maximus think that an eternal action can have a multiplicity of effects? Uh, uh, Maximus does not believe in just a simple God and a multiplicity of effects. Maximus believes in the things around God, which are the energies, which he says in countless places. Renaissance Man, 1325, $5. Jay, did you use the word casustry during the debate? I did not. Uh, A, $3. Uh, If Allah is the best deceiver, how do you know that the Quran is not a deceit? Well, the Quran does not use the description of best deceiver the person is referring to a verse which says uh, which he is he is translating as deceiver which means it's referring to the crucifixion attempt against christ that they plotted and then this person is uh, translating as god plotted or god deceived in this case as he's translating but this is known as mushakala in arabic in Arabic rhetoric, this is referred to as mushakala, where the same word is utilized, but with a different meaning. So for God, you can have the same word utilized, but it entails something totally different. So the verse would be correctly translated as, they plotted and God ordained, and God is the best of those who ordains. Mm. Well, I made a similar point about words having different significance in relation to God as well, which you said isn't plausible or isn't allowable. Serena, $50. You were on fire. Glory to God. Uh, thank you. Much appreciated. Bell Emmanuel, $10. It sounds to me like we should prefer a conclusion that is easier to reach. Does that make it more or less I think we'll true? have a Lewis uh, concluding our debate as a friend of both sides. So 
Lose. Yeah, these are just the Q and A. But yeah, these are just the, the, we're almost the done. questions from the streamyard. Uh, next one, Jesus is the way because they, they pay money. There's only a few more. Aisha says one dollar. Is it halal to build Kaaba in Minecraft? I think that's a joke. Wild Child thirty dollars. Thank you for your time, Jay. You're killing it. You stay Theos five dollars. How can an infinite God be contained by logical parameters that only make sense to you? That'll be the last question. Again, uh, the rational judgments that our mind, so the person is asking about the rational judgments of our mind, we, our inception point of believing in God is from the mind. So the Quran even informs us that do not follow that which you have no knowledge of. That knowledge is in reference to the human mind. So we have a, a, a respect for the, the rational mind in order to conclude that there is a God. And the divine revelation confirms the uh, rational judgments. So in the Quran, there are there are rational arguments that confirm the rational mind with regard to the impossibility of a camel entering the needle hole as they are. These type of rational arguments are mentioned in the divine revelation also. Last question, Renaissance man. Does Orthodox Christianity distinguish presbyters and bishops? Uh, yes, we do. Um, all right, so looks like... That is yep. about the I, last I think it's uh, yeah. been a really good debate. And um, thank you, both of you. It got heated um, and it got, you know, back and forth, but it was enjoyable. Uh, I hope everyone's um, content with the outcome. Uh, I thought it was a, a step forward in terms of Islamic Christian debate, to be honest. Um, well, I, I have his me, uh, his link there if people want to follow yeah. his. Yeah, uh, Sheikh details are at the bottom. He is an expert in Kalam. He, he knows it like the back of his hand. Um, so if you want to learn Kalam, if you want to learn about Islamic uh, theology, you need to go to Sheikh Asrara. You don't need to go, you, you just go to Sheikh Asrara. <laughs> so yeah, um, thank you both. Thank you so much. It's been really amazing. Um, so whenever you're ready to um, end the stream. We All right. Well, thank you guys. And thank you, Sheikh. I uh, appreciate you showing up and it was a good discussion. No, no problem. When you come to the UK, we'll have our US-UK debate.